<laughs> anyway, let me start welcoming everybody. I uh, uh, think a few folks might trickle in, but we are continuing um, with our journey through this book, uh, which we're reading in this sort of semester, Rowan Williams' book, Being Christian. Uh, you can see it's, it's mercifully succinct. And it might be uh, Lenten discipline that if you haven't read it, you want to get a copy and read it. But it basically is Rowan Williams, who is, um, I'm just sucking up to the rector because he, he lives, eats and breathes and names his children after, after Rowan Williams, um, uh, who is worthy, worthy of uh, emulation and imitation and maybe even adoration. But um, anyway, so we're looking at that book and it's Christian Essentials. So it's, it's baptism, it's Bible, it's uh, Eucharist, and it's prayer. And so those are what, what Rowan Williams, who was former Archbishop of Canterbury, has decided are sort of Christian essentials, uh, which are a good thing to reflect on. So for this week and one more week, we're going to be reflecting on the Bible. And I, I don't know if I've told you my story about when I worked in Lake Forest and we decided to read the Bible in a year. Did I tell this story? I don't know. If it, it, it probably bears repeating. But we made a big deal. We're going to read September to May. We're going to read the Bible through the year. We had a book that helped us do that chapter by chapter, sort of breaking up the stories, just to get the trajectory, the whole thing from generous Genesis to Revelation. And I made a big, you know, I put on my ad guy hat and I made a big push about communicating that we're going to read the Bible in a year. People actually got excited about it. They were carrying around Bibles in town like they were Baptists or something. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but I went to get my Starbucks one morning and there's a little local newspaper, a little local rag. And, uh, and um, I went and the headline in September was Episcopalians read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so I just we have this we have this rap, I think, among the different branches of the Jesus movement, as Bishop Curry refers to our denomination, uh, that we don't spend time in the Bible. That's actually not true. I was struck this morning at 915 and I assume it's a similar thing at 1115. But in our own um, worship this morning, uh, we heard the Ten Commandments, Moses's Ten Commandments. We heard about Abraham. Uh, we sang about Abraham walking in. And it is to say that the Bible, and particularly today, I want to focus on the Hebrew scriptures or, or what we refer to often as the Old Testament and, and what that does, how that helps us in our own spiritual journey, how that informs our faith. But there are handouts on your, on your um, table. And I wanted to begin uh, with a prayer which is a prayer that comes up every year at the end of November, which is a prayer about scripture. And I think it's the only colic that we have that actually focuses on scripture. So I would love it if you would say that prayer with me. Um, let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all the holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Uh, come on in and have a seat. One of the things I was thinking of was um, how integral 
scripture is to our own liturgy and our worship, uh, the governance of our church. Um, I, <laughs> I sometimes when I would get people to Many Episcopalians have never really cracked the Bible since they like had their freshman survey course in Old Testament or something. And they uh, and, you know, one of the things I've loved to do is invite parishioners to just spend time in the Bible, just to open it up and read and find out. And a number of times I've had people say, it's amazing to me how much of the Bible, how much the Bible stole from the Book of Common Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just all this stuff from common prayer that ended up in the Bible. And I said, well, you got the connection right. I'm not sure the direction is right. But anyway, so the, the idea um, that we are uh, steeped in scripture and that it informs us. And, uh, you know, for those in the group who do daily office, morning or evening prayer, 25 minutes, 20, I commend it as a Latin discipline. But before we do any praying, any asking for anything, any thanking about anything, we hear from scripture. And we read a lot of scripture in that service. Probably more than half of the service is actually reading daily lectionary. And it's just a way of saying that our common life, our life, the spiritual life, is about listening to what God has to say to us. So we say at the end of a reading, this is the word of the Lord. Um, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes when we, when somebody says the word of the Lord and it's a particularly gnarly section, or sometimes when when I'm up reading the gospel and I say the gospel of the Lord, I'm going like, okay, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm not exactly sure that this is good news. But anyway, that's, that's what we claim. And we just hold it at the center. It kind of guides our life together. I put a little blurb there from the ordination. How many been to an ordination service of a priest? I've been. Um, there's a part in the service, and it's early on in the service, where the bishop sort of is examining whoever is going to be ordained. And they say this thing, will you be loyal to the doctrine, discipline, and worship of the church uh, as the church has received them in accordance with the canons of this church? Obey your bishop and other ministers who have authority over you and your work. And then the person who's going to be ordained answers this way. He says, I am willing and ready to do so. And I solemnly declare that I do believe the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the word of God and to contain all things necessary to salvation. And they stop the service, and then the ordinary goes off to, to a desk or something and signs this document, which is so powerful to me. It says that the leaders of our church forever, for centuries, have said that one of the things that we do is to believe that this is the word of God. God's speaking to us in the variety of ways that that happens. Um, but also, I love this phrase. It's very helpful to me to think about what scripture is all about. All things necessary for salvation. It doesn't tell you about physics. It's not about science. It's not always about politics. Sometimes it is. But it's about what is necessary for our salvation. Or another word for salvation is making whole or, or our healing. And so to understand scripture as given in that respect as a way for us to experience that is powerful. I wonder if somebody in a big old voice could read. So Rowan Williams, he has this chapter on Bible in here, and he kicks it off with this reading from 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Can I get some shy and retiring lector to read this in a big old voice? And if I don't get a volunteer, I will voluntold somebody. Voluntell somebody. Yes, Christina, can you read that big voice? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. So Paul wrote this, this is one of the earliest letters in the New Testament, and the next session we have on scripture, we'll talk about the New Testament and sort of what, what that has to say about uh, all things necessary for salvation. But what do you think Paul meant when he talked about scripture? What do you think he had in mind? He has to write the Hebrew scriptures because there was no New Testament canon yet. Like when he was writing his letters, there weren't even any gospels. Right. I mean, he, this is one of the earliest pieces yeah. that we have in the New Testament. So Paul, when he's writing about all scripture, is really sort of going back and saying, this is the tradition that I've been handed down, which is the Hebrew scriptures. I mean, a canon of the New Testament wasn't really set until the fourth century. So that this is really saying these old scriptures we celebrated them again this morning with the Decalogue and with the uh, with the reading about Abram. And didn't that young lady, if you were at 915, nail it on like Abraham and Abram and Abraham and Sarai and Sarah? She was she was awesome. I, you know, anyway, I told her she should train our adult lectors. But anyway, um, <laughs> she was she was great. But I think that idea of what. Um, the earliest Christians thought of as scripture, they were looking back at the story of the Old Testament in all its great variety and the diversity of it. Um, and I'd love to flip over the page and we have a little bit from Jesus. Um, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount, the Matthew readings. I, I love the way that Jesus taught. Um, isn't that a good thing for a priest say to say, priest to say, I love the way that Jesus taught. Um, but in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how he regarded the tradition, the law, the scripture that had been handed down. So um, somebody read that Matthew 5 passage in a big old voice. Tony, big voice. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You have heard that it is said, that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And I will insult a brother, and if, sorry, and if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. A couple of things in this, right? I mean, um, so let me ask if you've ever heard that there was like an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. Has that ever, have you ever heard that? Yes. Yes. I want to rise in saying that's a bad idea, that, that, that there is continuity between the God. And you get it here. I saw by Tony's expression on her face when she read about the hell of fire. This is hard hitting. Uh, it, and, and come next week when Jesus overturns all the tables in the temple and you, and you get an idea that um, uh, 
judgment and and challenge are not exclusively to the uh, Old Testament and uh, and love and mercy are not excluded from the, the old Old Testament I um, I love I love the adage Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable and um, so 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 there are both things in both in both books but Jesus says this beautiful thing I come not to abolish the law but to fulfill it and in and then and then the second part you have heard that it was said it's very interesting to me because he's taking what he clearly knew of the Hebrew scriptures he was clearly well versed maybe everybody was in those days um, he was well versed in the Hebrew scriptures and he said uh, this is what the this is what the law says you shall not murder um, and then he has a whole series of things he says but I say to you he interprets those teachings from the Old Testament and they all kind of go through the lens of the great commandment that he establishes the lens of love right so he says if if you know if there's not love in your heart it's as bad as if you do this murder thing right but all of it is sort of the interpretive key that he uses to look at at everything that happens in the scripture to say is it is it um, what is, Michael Curry says if it's not about love it's not about God Right, that, that that is the lens through which Jesus looks at the Hebrew scriptures. And it's not a bad lens for us to look at. There's a lot of stuff in the Hebrew scriptures, um, wiping out towns, smashing children head on the rocks and all that stuff that I go, really, do we really have to like avoid that? And sometimes the lectionary, you notice if you do the daily office, you notice that sometimes they read a Psalm and then you go from like verse one to 10 and then 15 to 20. And, you, and so it always makes me wanna look at 11 to 14, right? Because because that's the part where some kid is getting his head smashed on a rock or something. But uh, Rowan Williams has a very good way of saying that's that's not to say we're supposed to do that. That is because that is how people have reacted in in times past. And we are called to a new way of being. We are called to a new way of relating to one another. And so that the Hebrew scripture comes as a way of sort of um, uh, exploring, I guess, you know, the whole book, the whole Bible is a story of relationship with God. And we are, uh, we are sort of called to think about how our own relationship unfolds in that way. Um, there's a wonderful piece, uh, let me see if I can find it here, um, that he writes in this about, well, I, I noted it here, about what kind of book the Bible is. Um, we're getting a lot in our culture these days about saying the Bible is guiding us in our social and political decisions. And, and I'll give you a chance to talk about what you think about that at, at your tables. Um, but um, whenever I, I hear somebody say, like the Bible told me, tells me to do this about this or that issue, um, I think of a, a book I received from a young friend who was actually an atheist who was trying to convince me that being a priest was not really a good idea. And so she, she brought me, we had long conversations about this, and she brought me a book called The Bible Tells Me So, The Use and Abuse of Scripture. And I, I've mentioned it before, I think, but it's like one chapter is how the Bible was used to keep women from being ordained. Next chapter, how the Bible was used to promote women being ordained, how the Bible was used to uh, uh, promote environmental concern, how the Bible tells us we don't need to worry about the environment, how the Bible promoted slavery, how the Bible um, uh, promoted abolitionists. You know, we can find 
uh, kind of what it is we want in there, which is, I think, part of the key is that we read this in church. We read it together. We learn from each other. We come to the Bible with the parts that um, we struggle with. What does the name Israel mean? Sarah, what does the name Israel mean? You don't know? Oh. Okay, wrestling, wrestling with God, struggling with God. I'm sorry, I mean, but anyway, um, struggling with God. That's a beautiful vision of what we do in our worship. Let me see page 24. This is how he describes what the Bible is. Hold on. The diversity of the Bible is as great as if you had within the same two covers, for example, Shakespeare's sonnets, the law reports of 1910, the introduction to Kant's critique of pure reason, the letters of St. Anselm and a fragment of the Canterbury Tales, all within the same two covers. The chronological span of the books of the Bible is even longer than that of the examples I have just given. So we've got it all pushed together there in the great variety of ways that scripture comes to us. Um, so a couple, couple things just to highlight about, about scripture um, and how we read it. It is really uh, about listening in community, about listening to God. Um, the idea, and he talks about this, the idea of people sitting alone in their homes reading the Bible is a relatively new idea. I mean, up until Gutenberg or somebody, only a few people had the massive scrolls or texts that manuscripts that would hold the scripture so people would come together to hear and to listen. Maybe, maybe lost some of that art in our own culture, the ability to just be in a place and hear and listen. But for centuries, that was the only way that this word came. And we are, we are blessed to be able to have Bible on our phones and just to have that carry, carry with us wherever. But that's a kind of a new thing. And, and really, at the outset, the idea that scripture was something we read in community was just central. That was just, that was just how, how it was done. Um, and so we listen in community, and, and we learn from each other in the process. And I, and I will say, so as we refer to the Hebrew scriptures, First, the Old Covenant. The, the, the phrase covenant uh, uh, it can also be translated testament. And it really comes from a prophecy in Jeremiah 33, where Jeremiah prophesies that God is going to give a new covenant. So that's where the language of New Testament and Old Testament came. Um, but there is a tradition, and it is not helped by the Christian penchant for anti-Semitism, um, it's, it's not meant that the old is no good anymore, which I think is, is something that, that people, that the, that the Old Testament has somehow been superseded. Um, uh, so that's a very, a thing, particularly as, as we face the rise of anti-Semitism in our own country, to think about how um, we regard those Hebrew scriptures as sacred to the Jewish community. And and, and also at the same time, as we, as Christians, see all those texts from Genesis on, Abraham particularly. I mean, the number of times Abraham is cited in the writings of Paul is just incredible. But, but that, that, for those of us who swim in the Christian stream, those point to Christ at the center. And so that's, that's sort of the thing, uh, that's, as I say, that's the stream uh, we swim in. Um, but I, you know, I want to just um, 
I think I'm going to turn it over to the tables at quarter of 11 and, and throw some questions your way. They're on the back of your sheet. Make sure that you've introduced yourself to everybody in your table. And if your table needs to have more people, you can merge. Uh, that's a good thing. Um, how has engagement with scripture had impact on your spiritual life? Um, do you find that the Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament is helpful in your own spiritual journey? What do you find challenging about engagement with scripture? What do you do with difficult parts of the Bible? What are benefits of reading on your own? Or what are benefits of reading scripture in community? And then there's one more question because we hear in our culture a fair amount these days about what it means to be a Bible-believing Christian. So I would love, I would be very interested in hearing what that means to you. Because I think the topic is going to keep coming up in particularly this election season. So um, what, without, just what does it mean for this community to be a Bible-believing community? How do we understand what that is? So there are enough questions there to talk until about 6 o'clock tonight. So just have at whichever question you like. We need a volunteer from each table to report back in about 10 minutes or so about what you might have talked about. Make sure you all know your names at the table and have at it. Go. Let's take a few minutes. Let's take a few minutes and hear from each table. How about that? I uh, got Andrew here roving. Um, I made a reference once to Donahue at some event. People go, who's Donahue? So anyway, <laughs> it's like, I realize there's some generational references, but anyway, maybe you all know who Donahue is. So table over here, Tony's table. Who's, who's the spokesperson? I'll start it. Yeah. We decided that we were going to not ignore the difficult parts of the Bible. And so we took that on. Okay. Um, but we did say at the outset, we skip it or we ignore it. You uh, skip or ignore the difficult parts. Yeah, but then yeah. we all said actually, it's important to focus on those because we have to put it in a context and we have to interpret it into what it might mean in our lives or not. Right. And to try to put it both in a historical context and into a current day context. And that it, in sense, gives more depth. If it's all roses and honey, and you're not going to get the meaning unless you focus also on, on the violent and the unpleasant. Right. That there's much to be learned there, too. Which is part of life, right? Yeah. Is that a fair? What else? Other thoughts on the, from that table? Well, it evolves over time, and, and that as things are transcribed over time and translated from one language to another, different interpretations can, can sure. be made. And sure. as you pointed out, sometimes we have, like, exodus becomes, you'll get more than one story that oh, appears as another book. Oh, one version, yeah, yeah. The other thing um, that I think is important is to remember that um, this is a book about humans looking for the divine and trying to interpret it uh, and how it applies to them. So when all these business about God being angry is what people thought, not necessarily the truth of God. 
Karen Armstrong, who's one of my heroes, a Roman Catholic scholar, big on interfaith, wrote a book called The History of God, which just charts over, particularly over scripture, but also in other faith traditions, the various images. But even within this, even within the Bible, there are different images of, of understanding who God is. And, you know, um, uh, I, I love I love the the prayer of Saint Francis. I, I, I read recently that he would spend the night uh, in prayer, saying, "Who are you, God, and who am I?" Um, and that you know, if Saint Francis is asking those kind of questions, I feel permission to ask them as well. So anyway, this table here. Um, you... We started with the last question. What you did. What does it mean to you to be a Bible believing Christian? And um, our I guess the over the the consensus at the table was that on a broader perspective, it's a negative connotation these days that it's been that people draw a lot of conclusions about what it is to be a Bible believing Christian. And we talked a little bit about how we define ourselves um, when we're faced with those kinds of uh, when when we talk about scripture, we talk about our faith. And um, one person said responds as I'm a practicing Christian. Another one stumps everybody in the room by saying I'm an Episcopalian because nobody <laughs> seems to know what an Episcopalian is. So then you have to go through all that. Um, but then that led us to that led us to other the other questions and and that we we actually reading reading scripture in isolation is as you said is not the way it was intended and it seems to be um, it's a little bit of a greater than thou kind of thing mm. that um, that you know. Um, what did you say? Put white gloves on, and you know this is how I'm going to interpret the Bible. Yeah. Um, we also talked about just the messiness of the Bible. That and Rowan Williams talks about that when he talks about baptism is that we enter into a messy relationship, yeah. and and we and reading the Bible is kind of messy because well, it's not kind of messy; it is messy because you're grappling with a lot of different things. Um, what else does he do? What he else said it's we... not a book, it's a library. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a book, it's a library. And also that the word Christian has been hijacked uh, in the sense of what it means to different people. Uh, the evangelical as opposed to the Episcopalian. I don't know. You know, so that was a point. And just one last thing that um, a plug, not just for Wednesday morning Bible study, but any kind of Jan said, you know, just being in Bible study. And, and um, Sarah said the same thing, that the Lenten retreat, being able to read scripture together, you just hear so many different points of view and just to be able to do that and be on that journey together. So that's just a little advertisement. For a little me. plug, we like plugs, awesome, <laughs> awesome. And I had an advertisement also since Wendy stepped out for EFM. Uh -huh. EFM, um, which I took, it was the first time that I ever felt like the Bible was mine, uh -huh. you know, that it sort of belonged to me, that I had a sense of its overall contours and, and yeah. so on. So I, I highly, highly recommend that. Beautiful. A lot of resources here for, um, and, it, and it's one of the things that I think technology, the internet and have provided ways of accessing scripture that might not have been available to people. That table over there, anything you want to add to this conversation? <laughs> Um, Terry, I seem you've been nominated. That's right. <laughs> yes. Um, I, uh, I think we came to the conclusion that each one of us, each one of the, each human who is, on, like they said over there, is, is 
living in a relationship with God, whether they might even know it or not. And that what's in the Bible will be interpreted as individually as those billions of people. That there's no one answer. And I think, is that what we said? Yeah. yeah. And that the, the idea of Christian nationalism, just to pick up on what you said, uh, who's, how? What are you talking about? What, na what nation for national, et cetera? They'll go there. Um, but uh, that we all, and we're, as long as, as a search for um, a divine partner or a divine uh, input, everybody's in a relationship and, and that <clears throat> nobody has all the answers. Not the fundamentalists don't have all the answers. I think they're trying to take the easy way out, but that's my own personal thought. Don't put that on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, um, and of course, there are many nonverbal ways you can get it too. Some of us in the room sing. Mm -hmm. We sing. We sing most of our liturgies. A lot. And so and a lot that, of that. That's input that comes in. You don't even know it's coming in half the time. Exactly. How about this table? We just have a minute or two. <laughs> just briefly, we start out by recalling a, uh, a line from a forum in years past from our former associate rector, Will Payton, who described the Bible as a scrapbook of humankind's love affair with God. I love that. that yes. Did you all hear that? There's, there's poetry, there's history, there's rules, there's all sorts of things. So it's not, you know, one thing, it's many things. And... Uh, that led us to, to talking a little bit about, you know, we don't, we're, we did not have a consensus of literalism with it, that there's a lot of human interpretation sure. of things that are divinely inspired by God. And we talked a little about the continuity between the Old and New Testament of Jesus saying that he had a new and everlasting covenant was additive of the previous one as opposed to replacing it. Right, right. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, Thank that's you. that's all helpful. And um, just continue is, is one of the things that we had called in in Lent uh, in the invitation that comes on Ash Wednesday. One of the things that we're called to do in Lent. I know, you know, usually think about, you know, it's OK, giving something up and making myself more miserable than now. But um, but it's it's really about reading and meditating on God's word is one of the four things that we say we will do in this season of Lent. So I invite you to figure out how to how to do that for your own self in the remainder of this season of Lent. I have to run upstairs because worship begins shortly. But I thought maybe we could say that prayer again. That's from the collect. And I just want you to note that the, what I love about this collect is that it says the Bible is there for this purpose, to give us hope. And so I think that if we can sort of see it through the lens of this collect, that that's uh, not a bad to, way to look at, at what we do when we hear and read scripture. So let's pray together. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Hey, thank you, everybody, for being thank part you. of this today.